You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 246, your parenting toolbox review. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hi, Mama. Welcome to the podcast. A few weeks ago, I did an episode where I pieced together different clips from previous episodes related to marriage, and I got a lot of great feedback about it. So I've decided to do something similar this week where I've taken clips about different parenting tools I've discussed. With almost 250 episodes, it's unlikely that you've heard all of them or remember them. And I know that the more we hear the same information, the easier it is for our brains to remember it. So please enjoy this slightly longer than usual episode. And I'd love for you to tell me what you think if you've used any of these in your parenting and how it went. You can email me at pam at lessdramamoremama.com or DM me on Instagram at lessdramamama. So let's dive in. I'm going to give you lots of examples of great questions to add to your parenting toolbox. And I want you to choose one that you're going to practice asking your kids today. The first one is simply, what do you think? When your child asks you a question, rather than jumping to answer it, turn it around and ask them, what do you think? This helps them develop critical thinking skills, and it can help foster the relationship between you as you talk and explore answers together. Try to be aware of other questions or concerns that lie beneath their questions. For example, if they ask, can I stay home from school tomorrow? Rather than just answering no and shutting down the conversation, you might ask, why are you asking? Is there a reason you don't want to go? And opening up the conversation to reveal more. When your kids accomplish something or do something that's been challenging for them in the past, rather than praising them with, wow, I'm so proud of you, you can ask, how do you feel? How were you able to do that? How did you manage that? I loved using those questions as a school counselor when kids who struggled with inattention, for example, demonstrated unusually good focus in class. I'd ask, how were you able to do that? How do you feel about what you just did? You can also ask questions like, what gave you the courage or the strength to do that? How did you come up with that creative idea? They may or may not be able to answer you, and that's okay. But they'll probably start to think of themselves in new ways and build evidence of their different capabilities. Here's another idea. Instead of deciding all the consequences for your kid's behavior, ask them, what do you think the consequence should be? You might not take their suggestion, of course, but it can be very interesting to at least hear what they have to say. Some kids choose consequences that are too lenient, while others dole out harsher ones for themselves than you might. If you feel your child's suggestion is too harsh or too lenient, let them know that and then use your own judgment to determine what logically fits the situation and feels right to you. Sometimes giving them some control over their own consequences makes it more likely that they'll accept and abide by them. Questions can invite kids to learn from their mistakes. When yours slips up, instead of getting down on them, you might ask, what did you learn from this? What's another way you could have handled that? Or what will you do differently the next time? 
Questions can help kids develop their decision-making skills and encourage resourcefulness. The next time your child comes to you about a problem, rather than immediately telling them what to do or trying to fix it, ask, how are you going to handle that? Or what can you do? What are your options here? What do you think needs to happen next? Would you like my help? How can I help? Who else do you know that could help you with that? Or what do your instincts tell you to do? As hard as it can be, resist the urge to give your opinion or a lecture. To govern themselves, kids need to know what they think and feel, not what others think they should. They need to trust their own thoughts and feelings because ultimately that's what'll guide them through life. When your child is feeling overwhelmed or stressed, you might ask, what would help make this easier for you? What's one small step you can take today? What's the next best step? Or what do you need right now? Don't assume you know what they need. It may be different from what you would need in the same situation. Just ask. When they get home from school or at the dinner table, instead of the boring old, how was your day? You can ask, what was the best part of your day? What happened today that made you laugh? What did you do today that you were most proud of? What's one new thing you learned today? What did you learn about yourself today? Instead of nagging and reminding about chores, homework, and other activities throughout the day, you can ask, what's your plan for getting your homework done before dinner? How will you remember to walk the dog? What do you need to do to leave on time? When do you plan on taking out the trash? When kids give you attitude, you can calmly ask, what's another way you could say that to me? Or how can you speak to me in a more respectful way? In all of these questions, you're putting the responsibility in their hands and helping them with decision-making, time management, future planning, and taking responsibility. All those great skills we want them to have. After you ask a great question, be quiet and listen to the answer. Give them a safe space to share what's on their minds. Reflect their thoughts and ideas back to them without judgment. Be curious. Be open. Ask, and what else? Is there more? I'm going to share some of the ways you can use family meetings, and I'm sure there are infinite ways to do this. So just let your imagination and your knowledge of your own family guide you to make this your own and something you can feel excited about. I've talked before about your child's three core emotional needs, connection, control, and competence. If you haven't listened to the three episodes on those, you can find them in today's show notes. Family meetings are great because they can help satisfy all three of those needs. Let me say them again, connection, control, and competence. Let's talk about how family meetings can help with each one of these needs. Family meetings are primarily about coming together to strengthen the connections between people. To this end, you can use some of the meeting time to offer compliments to one another, express appreciation or gratitude. You can ask a question at each meeting that helps you get to know each other better. I have a free download called 20 Family Conversation Starters that you can get in today's show notes to help you with that. Or you can get it at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash conversation dash starters. Connection is about feeling seen and heard. So make sure you're listening more than you're talking and give your kids a chance to respectfully tell you what's on their minds. As the parent, you still get to set rules and expectations and have the final say in decision making. 
But you want to make sure your kids have the opportunity to weigh in on important matters and feel like they have a voice. Also, to help with connection, after you take care of the family business, you can add in some family fun time by watching a movie, playing a game, eating a meal together, having a dance party. The options are endless. Let's move on to the needs for control and competence. They kind of go together because kids want to feel like they have a say in what happens, and they like to feel a sense of belonging and contribution to the family. So family meetings are a great tool to give your kids some responsibility and have them contribute to the meeting itself. For example, you can assign someone to take notes. You can have someone read what's on the agenda. I'll say more about that in a minute. You can have someone decide what snacks you'll have at the meeting. You and your family can brainstorm other ways to assign roles or responsibilities at the meetings. The agenda can be posted somewhere that everyone can see it, usually in the kitchen or family room. And there may be certain things you want to discuss each week, like the upcoming week's schedule. Maybe you want to do a homework check-in or grades check-in. You might want to plan the meals and create a shopping list for the upcoming week, give out allowance or rotate chores. Then, in addition to those things that are just regular weekly agenda items, throughout the week when issues arise that need some problem-solving or discussion, you can add them to the agenda too. So let's say you notice that your kids have been on their screens more lately because you haven't been consistent about enforcing your limits. Let's face it, it's just so much easier to let them play a little longer so you can get more done in the short term. But in the long term, you know it's taking away from time that could be spent together and making it harder for them to fall asleep at night. You decide it's time to reset the limits and start again. You can add that to the agenda, and then during the family meeting, say, I've noticed that I haven't been following through with the screen time limits lately, and I want to change that because I want to make sure we're spending more time together at night and getting better sleep. So from now on, I'm going to collect all the devices at 7 p.m. and keep them in my room until the next day. Or you would say whatever works for your family. Or if your child brings a problem to you during the week, you can always ask, Would you like to add that to this week's agenda? This teaches kids two things. Number one, that you're taking it seriously and you're not going to forget. And it teaches them some delayed gratification and that sometimes they have to wait to address a problem, right? Not everything is an emergency. So piggybacking off of that, family meetings are a great time to teach problem-solving skills like active listening, perspective taking, and emotion regulation. In upcoming episodes, I'm going to give you some direction on how to teach these skills to your kids, since as a school counselor, I have a lot of experience with that. Like I said before, these meetings should only last 15 to 20 minutes. Most kids don't have long attention spans, and especially in the beginning, you want to keep them as enjoyable as possible so everyone actually looks forward to them. Even if the first few are just practicing gratitude together or going over the schedule for the week you'll slowly start to build the habit into your weekly routine and it will evolve and change along with your family and your needs. Developmentally speaking, you can probably start implementing family meetings when your kids are around five years old. But no matter how old they are, don't expect them to have the skills required to participate at first. You're going to teach them. This may require a lot of patience and empathy on your part, which is where managing your mind and choosing useful thoughts comes into play. There is a free parenting tool already on your phone that allows you to set and enforce limits without being perceived by your kids 
as the bad guy. This tool can help you be more productive and give you some much needed time for yourself too. So what is this amazing tool? It's your phone's timer. Now, I realize that using a timer isn't a new idea. In fact, there's a whole time management method called the Pomodoro technique that uses a tomato-shaped timer, hence the name Pomodoro, to help people focus and get their work done. Now, while I personally haven't used the Pomodoro technique, I have found that something as simple as a kitchen timer or the timer on my phone has helped me tremendously as a mom. And so I want to share some of the ways it's helped me over the years. When the timer becomes the rule enforcer instead of you, you get into fewer power struggles with your kids. And you don't have to be the one keeping your eye on the clock or nagging them every few minutes to get things done. Some kids will enjoy pressing start on the timer themselves, which is great because they're more likely to follow the limit when they take an active part in setting it. One way to use the timer is to help kids learn to take turns. So one child plays with a toy or does an activity for a set amount of time, and when the timer goes off, it's the other child's turn. You can use a timer to let kids know when it's time to get out of the bath and remind little ones when to use the potty. Older kids can use it to limit how long they spend in the shower. Using a timer can help young kids grasp the concept of time and understand different lengths of time. For example, you can set a timer to show them the difference between 20 seconds, the recommended amount of time to wash your hands, and two minutes, the recommended amount of time to brush your teeth. My personal favorite is setting a timer and then seeing how much my kids and I can clean up before it goes off. It turns cleaning into a fun game and everyone wins. You can use a timer to let your family know when dinner is ready or set a time limit on meals for those kids who tend to take forever to finish eating. You can put aside a fixed amount of distraction-free time to spend playing or reading with your kids, establish quiet time, or use the timer as a motivator to get homework and chores done. Finally, you can use it to set time limits on watching TV using the phone, or playing on the computer. The caveat with this is that sometimes when the timer goes off, kids are in the middle of an episode or a game level, so you may need to be a little bit flexible and be very clear about what your expectations are when that happens. You also want to communicate a logical consequence to them ahead of time so that everyone is on the same page about what will happen if they don't turn it off. Usually, the most logical consequence is that they don't get the privilege of using the device the following day. Now, those are some ways to use a timer for your kids, but what about using it for yourself and your own self-care? Set a timer to give yourself some alone time. Even five or ten minutes of solitude can be enough to rejuvenate or calm you down. Get work done in your business or around the house. Setting a timer can help you focus and get tasks done more efficiently. If you have 20 minutes, set the timer and break a sweat Meditate, journal, read, or listen to your favorite podcast. If all you have is 15 minutes, organize one pile of papers or one drawer. Then when the timer goes off, stop. Finally, use a timer to limit your own time on social media, email, or Netflix. While there are plenty of fun and attractive timers out there, any kitchen timer or phone timer will do. But there are visual timers that allow your kids to see how much time is left, which can be very effective so they don't keep calling, Mommy, is it time yet? 
I'll link to a few of those in today's show notes. Now, don't try to implement all of these ideas at once because the constant ringing and dinging of the timer will quickly lose its effectiveness and drive you crazy. My suggestion is to try a few at a time and then incorporate the ones that work into your daily routine. The conflict escalator is a tool to help you become aware of what actions or reactions make a situation better or worse, and to notice whether and when you're contributing to or contaminating your relationships. So picture an escalator. This escalator moves both up and down depending on the situation. Something happens on the first step of the escalator. Let's say your child leaves his dirty dishes in the sink. You say, hey, you forgot something, and that becomes step two. He comes back with, aw, can't you just do it? That's step three. Step four, you say, no, you lazy bum, get over here and put your dishes in the dishwasher. Step five, as he's walking away from you, he says, mom, I'm tired and I have homework to do. I'll do it later. Step six, you yell after him, get back here and do it right now. This conflict could very well continue to escalate from there. Many people mistakenly believe that the goal in a situation like this is to win by getting to the top of the escalator. But winning isn't about having the last word or having your way. Winning is problem solving, preserving the relationship, and staying grounded at the bottom of the escalator. The higher up you go, the harder it is to come down and the more disconnected you become. There are several actions that parents do that tend to escalate conflict, including name-calling, insulting, threatening, using a sarcastic tone, blaming, defending, raising their voices, invading personal space, and criticizing. At any point, though, we can choose to stop going up the escalator and come back down. This doesn't mean that your kids are going to stop going up the escalator, and that's okay. You don't have to de-escalate your kids. You just need to focus on the one and only person you actually have control over, which is you. Instead of focusing on what you want your kids to do or who you want them to be or where they are on the conflict escalator, you want to focus on what you want to do, who you want to be, and where you are on the conflict escalator. Now, just as there are actions that escalate conflict, there are actions that de-escalate it too. You can lower your volume, change your tone of voice, check your body language. You can look at the situation from their perspective, validate their experience and emotions, listen with curiosity rather than judgment. You can walk away or ignore negative attention-seeking behavior. You can accept responsibility and apologize for your initial reaction and course correct. Coming down the conflict escalator doesn't mean you give in or let kids get away with misbehavior. For example, in this situation, after step five, when he says he's tired and we'll do it later, you could say something like, hey, I'm sorry I called you a lazy bum. That wasn't nice. I know you had a long day at school and you're tired, but it only takes a few seconds to put your dishes in the dishwasher and then you can finish your homework. Thanks, honey. So you've taken a step down on the escalator, changed your tone of voice, You're showing empathy and restating your request in a kinder, gentler way. And maybe that's the end of it. Maybe he chooses to comply with your request. But maybe he chooses to keep going up the escalator and says, well, if it only takes a few seconds, why can't you do it? 
Once again, you have a choice. You get to escalate or de-escalate the situation. Your decision of what to do will be determined by how you feel. And how you feel will be determined by what you think and the story you tell yourself about what his behavior means. So do you make it mean he's disrespecting you? Do you make it mean he's going to grow up to be irresponsible if you don't hold him accountable for his dishes? Do you make it mean he's a tired kid who doesn't feel like cleaning up after himself? There are countless possibilities for how to interpret his behavior. And there isn't a right or a wrong. There's only how it makes you feel, which will drive your behavior. But sometimes in the moment, the thoughts and feelings come so fast, you don't even register what they are. Creating a pause, like I talked about in last week's episode, and then asking yourself, is what I'm about to do or say going to take me up the escalator or bring me down? Am I contributing to or am I contaminating this relationship? And who do I want to be in this moment can help you tremendously to get clear on what to do next. And let me just say again, there is no right or wrong. You might decide to put the dishes in the dishwasher yourself. That's not important. What's important is the feeling driving that decision. Are you putting the dishes away from feeling frustrated and defeated? Are you doing it out of compassion and understanding or simply feeling indifferent? What you choose to do isn't as important as who you choose to be. And having the image or idea of the conflict escalator in your mind can help you remember that when you're in the middle of a conflict. So over the next week, start paying attention to when you step on the conflict escalator. Notice the thoughts, feelings, and actions that send you up the escalator. See if you can shift your thinking in ways that bring you back down. And then take note of what you did. I find it helpful to write it all down rather than just thinking about it because it really helps cement it into my consciousness. I want you to know that there will be many times you ride all the way to the top of the escalator. No one is calm and grounded all of the time. This is a tool that maybe in some situations you might think of that will help you choose a different course of action. And maybe not. If you only realize that your brain was hijacked after the fact, don't beat yourself up. Celebrate your awareness and get curious about what you can learn and do differently the next time. I guarantee there will be a next time. Conflict is inevitable. So use it to grow yourself and become more of who you want to be so that you can strengthen your relationship with yourself and others. As always, I'm here to help you take these concepts and apply them to your unique situation. There's a huge difference between just gaining valuable insight and actually applying the insight and holding yourself accountable. If you want help with that, to really make progress in the quality of your life and your relationships, request your free consultation with me at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini. I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now. 